Hi, and welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on the deep dive on the who, what, where, why, and when in the hospitality industry. For those of you who are new here, hello and welcome. And for those of you who are back, thanks for stopping by. A quick 411 on who I am and what I do. I've been covering the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene for the last 20 years. The list, are you on it.com, the online e-zine that tells you absolutely everything that's happening in the D.C. area. We just celebrated 20 years in publication. Of course, you listen to Foodie and the Beast every Sunday at 11 a.m. on 1500. My husband Dave and I will be celebrating 15 years on air in October um, and also, I think, 26 or no, 27 years, <laughs> also in October. I don't know. After 25, like, what difference does it make? Um, of course, you follow me on social at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter for, like, another heartbeat, because I think Twitter is dying, but I am on Thread, uh, LinkedIn, and, of course, YouTube, which is where you can either watch this or tune in on all the podcast platforms. Lastly, you hear me on WTOP, and you see me doing lots of TV lately with more to come. I cannot wait to fill you in on all of that. Um, okay, so as I do every show, I tell you about where I've been, and let me tell you, I know it's only been seven days since I last did a show, but I have been out and about and doing amazing, delicious eatings. So first, I did an omakase at a coffee cafe. I went to Cafe Unido. Um, Brewmaster Francisco Flores took me on a tour of the Panamanian, 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 right? Panamanian, oh my God. Panamanian geisha coffee bean. I learned so much about this coffee, and he took me on a tour of different roastings while I was fed beautifully by Chef Giovanna Yorila. Riola? Thank you. Riola. I have help here. I have Maru here. She's helping me out because my Spanish is terrible. Um, and that's not an excuse, but I'm using it. Um, anyway, so it's about three or four courses of food and three or four different coffees. For the coffee connoisseur out there, this is an experience that you absolutely must do. I'm taking several people to do it as gifts because I just think it's such a fun experience. Um, and you learn so much about this coffee. Now, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I was that day and it was lots of fun. So definitely put that on your list. I also went to Zeppelin's and um, you know I've had the Wilder brothers on here recently and I love Ari and Micah. And I mean, I had to be honest and tell them I had never been to Zeppelin's. Um, and um, now I really regret waiting so long. So I got to go, I got to see what they're doing. They really wanted a neighborhood sushi restaurant for them because they lived in Shaw. Makes sense. But they really upped the ante. The sushi is amazing. The other food options are terrific. The space is incredibly cool, much like the Wilder Brothers. And uh, Corey LeDroit is pouring insane cocktails. So great space. And then we kind of sashayed across the street and went over to Chaplin's. Now I have been to Chaplin's, but usually I'm at Chaplin's very late at night and it's kind of foggy. But this time it wasn't because I was there like at like 10. So I got tastes of ramen and some of the other fun dishes they're doing and rosé on tap, which I'm all about. Um, so great places in Shaw to check out. Um, it's been a minute since I've been to Molina up at Pike and Rose. This is the Kava Guys, their restaurant. Really 
terrific dining for um, Northern Bethesda. Great food, beautiful dips, and a terrific bread service. Um, everything's just fresh and gorgeous, and they have some amazing Greek wines. So if you're into those, this will definitely hit the spot. Um, let's see. Oh, we spent the 4th of July at Le Diplomat. So we've been spending the 4th of July at Le Diplomat almost every year that we are not out of town, because normally there's nobody at Le Diplomat on the 4th of July, except this year. This year, everybody was at Le Diplomat, and I don't know why but I would like them to leave. Uh, Le Diplomat was on fire. Um, it was like a normal night at Le Diplomat, but we were with a huge group of people and I got my lobster frites, which are my absolute favorite, and lots of rosé, and it was just a ton of fun. No fireworks for us, because the fireworks were happening inside Le Dip. Um, and then lastly, let me see if I got everything. Yes, the last one, sneak peek of the new salt line in Bethesda. Now, by the time this show airs, it will be open to the public, but I got to peruse the new menu, chat with Kyle Bailey, the chef. The space is the former Capno space in Bethesda, RIP Mike Isabella's space. Um, and Kyle and the Longshot Hospitality team have taken it over. It looks fabulous. It's gonna be such a great addition to Bethesda Row. All the good eats are there, the delicious fries, the, lobster rolls, the uh, crispy, crispy, crispy and delicious uh, soft shell crab. And then of course they have a massive raw bar. So all the things that you want, uh, you can eat light or you can eat heavy because you got to get the smash burger, uh, which is also really yummy. So, okay. That's where I've been. Um, I've been eating a lot. It's all been really good. Um, but I'm also like trying to watch my girlish figure because I've got the Rammies this Sunday and I can't wait to tell you about that when I'm on air next week. But it's time to get on to today's show. So sitting at the table with me, you may notice, um, while I've been prattling on here, is the definition of a boss babe. Um, if you look up the term in the dictionary, this woman's face is sitting right there. Uh, Daniela Senior. Is it Senior? Say it correctly for me. Wow. It depends, but it's senior. Senior. But, but I just say the name of senior. I should have so, asked you. No, I said it. Listen, I I say the name of senior at this point. I'm so okay. used to just saying right. that. It's too much explanation back and forth. It's all good. Daniela Senior, originally from the Dominican Republic, started cooking with her parents when she was 13. Wanted to open up a catering business. I think you did open up a catering business, which is amazing. We, we're going to talk about that. I was at the parents' party. My parents did not cook at all. That's why I said. Oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. That's not why I started cooking. Okay, so wait, then you went to the Culinary Institute of America. You're a certified SOM. You are behind the inception of both Colada Shop and the Michelin-starred Bresca, which, by the way, they were on last week, so you can hear that show. Behind the Latin Bar Serenata, which was named one of Esquire Magazine's best bars in America. And she serves as a board member of Women's Chefs and Restaurateurs. Is that... Okay, I have questions about that. Um, Empowered Women International. You're on the steering committee of New Guard Women in Hospitality. Um, you're a James Beard Women uh, Entrepreneur Entrepreneurial Leadership Program. You're part of that program, and which is amazing. And you were named Forbes 50 Latina Women Innovating to Sustainability Feed the World, which is incredible. And Washington Business Journal's 40 Under 40 Honoree as well. So ding, 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 ding. Lots of things <laughs> happening. I have so many questions. So I can't wait to get into the show. So hi. Right. Thanks for joining me. I mean, we've known each other a long time, even though I just mispronounced your name. Um, so 
Let's talk about cooking when you were young. Your parents didn't cook. You're in the Dominican Republic. Start, start there. Yeah. So honestly, the start of my cooking journey—I wouldn't say the start—but when I started taking it a little bit more seriously, it was you know studying it. I would take not from the a happy memory. My mom like stepped away for a minute and、uh, went to Boston with my grandmother, who was getting chemo、mm. at the time, and my dad did not cook at all. Okay.、So、after really being incredibly tired of just getting sandwiches every night, I decided I was taking matters in my own hands,、okay. and that was when I was eleven. So. I, that's I started just like I'm gonna do this, and he's like, "What are you doing? You're gonna get burned." I'm like, "So good." And I started just cooking、uh, all these recipes. And but where、I'm, were you going for recipes? Like, were you looking at magazines? Were you looking at cookbooks? Like, what was other than needing to nourish you? What were you looking at to be like? Oh, I want to make this, or I want to do that. There were remember those old school gourmet books. Yes, I yeah, do. So they're still in my house, actually. Okay. Back home.、Uh, so I would would be looking at those magazines. The newspaper would、uh, NBR would print out a lot of recipes. So I just would look at things that. Look fun and be like, okay, I'm going to the supermarket, come back and start experimenting. At first, it wasn't great, you know,、mm-hmm. um, but then I started getting a lot more comfortable. My, you know, extended family started noticing it too, and like, you know, we are from DR. Like baseball, it's a thing. So、right. every Sunday, all my uncles would come to my house, watch the game, and that's when I started more like, okay, I'm going to like put out the spread, you know.、Uh-huh. Um, so it became a thing, and I started just like looking forward to something. But that's not just—that's not just cooking. That's entertaining. Like you're doing, but you are doing two things there. And I speak to that because, as I、yeah. told you before we started the show, my girlfriend and I at 13, we were really into cooking. Now my mom was a great cook,、yeah. and her mom was a great cook,、um, and we. But they entertained all the time, and we were like, we should entertain. And so we played restaurant when we were kids, and we started having friends over and doing. And we would find the hardest recipe in gourmet magazine. Like we made a crochambeau. <laughs> I don't know what we were thinking. Like we just. I, so I'm with you. Right. We were just like. Now I'm like, can I please make the easiest recipe? Like I love yeah, the cook, but like、yeah. I don't need it to be hard.、Um, so anyway, so you entertained for your family. Yeah, I was. Sorry. I was still like cooking like the everyday meal, but like Sunday became this like actual like let me like bring out all the books and like、mm-hmm. do these very elaborate recipes and like I would get up I didn't care I would get up at four in the morning to start and do this like I、wow. I was committed. Did you have siblings?、Uh, I had a younger sibling. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So.、Um, At one point, she's a bit younger than me. So at one point, she did start helping me once I started the catering business with、mm-hmm. like little things. But、um, so yeah, so I that's where like I would say my spark for cooking really started. It wasn't so much I would say when I first started cooking to just feed myself and like my dad and and you know my sister just because again I was tired of、right. um, my dad's meals. But ultimately, I think when I was entertaining and bringing people together, and like that joy that that brought, and the fact that then people wanted to come, more people wanted to come and join,、mm-hmm. it became kind of this glue, and I kind of became addicted to that. Right? It became this high that I was、right. just like, you know, and I always wanted to up the ante、uh, with what I had made the previous week or, or why not. So、um, I started again cooking every day. I was very serious about it,、um, and. 
at one point when I was 13, it was actually near the holidays, um, around end of October and like DR and DR, like the holidays are in October. We don't really do Thanksgiving. We don't like, it's just like, why would you do Thanksgiving? Right? Exactly. <laughs> so it's literally people have Christmas trees up in October. Okay. You know, they want to extend that party as long as possible. Mm-hmm. So I, at that point decided that I, you know, wanted to be part of that party. And I, I was always really like in this process, like I really enjoyed baking a lot. So I started by, Hey, asking my mom, like, mom, can you, Love me $200. I promise I'll pay you back. And she's like, what are you doing? But I've always had, like, even since I was younger, this very entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. So I was always, like, doing things like that. I promise I'll pay you back. So then I ordered from this, I don't know if this even exists anymore, this, like, party supply company for, like, oriental trading or something okay. like that. And I ordered, like, all these, like, little pedicure boxes. And I did my own brochure. Um, and I did, you know, little pedicures of like sample desserts and I called up the place make specially for you. Okay. In, um, you're 13. Yeah. On paint, I did a little sticker logo and then I printed stickers so I could put in to make sure that every box was branded, you know, all about branding. So, you know, so people could call me back and I think I did like 120 of these little boxes and I went out and about to basically everyone everyone and everywhere that I knew uh-huh. and I gave one away and the next day the phone started ringing okay and um, by now what were you putting in there so it was it was this uh, it's when I, I started don't want to go too far down a rabbit yeah. hole but I'm no. fascinated yeah so I was doing I think that initial money was like mini uh or your cheesecake uh I was doing blondies oh, I had like um uh, this little like roll up like it was initially it was like dessert focus and then uh-huh. colorones which are these like similar to mexican wedding cookies so um they were like brownies my brownies became very actually very solicited um, okay so and then it expanded to like christmas cakes and um and then so you paid your mom back oh yes without a doubt yeah, no, at the end, so went through the holiday season, did a ton of events, you know, at the end of, like, I, when, by the time I had one year in business, I had six employees. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was, like, it was crazy. I would wake up, like, at four, I would uh-huh. start the production. This is all out of my house, by the way. Right. Um, my parents were like, what is going on? Why is her kitchen taking over? Uh-huh. Yeah. So when you say employees, were you hiring adults or other kids? No, adults. Wow. That's adults. crazy. We had to like expand like the kitchen. Like my dad did his engineering, he did like an exterior kitchen and like added a few more ovens. Because I was at one point catering weddings like and all these stuff. So it became like quite a quite an operation. Yes. Um at some point in between, um I think I was probably sixteen where I'm like, no, I, I wanted to even though like I'm primarily doing pastry because I felt it was more well-rounded. I started working uh, simultaneously at restaurants over there in NDR and to just get, get experience because at the time it was a requirement to get into CIA. Okay. So I had that business so I was 18 uh-huh. and graduated from high school and went, went to the CIA. To the CIA. Amazing. Yeah. So when you got to the CIA, given all your I mean, I'm surprised your catering experience did not apply. It's interesting. But I understand 
I do understand. Plus, their programs have changed so greatly over the years. Yeah. But um, so when you get to the CIA, you want to get into restaurants. Mm -hmm. You're like, this is where I want to be. So once you're like getting the education, I love the CIA. I feel like it's like Hogwarts. Like I just, yeah. it's so <laughs> fabulous there. The first time I went, I was there on a media trip. And I was like, oh, I was supposed to come to school here. You know, they didn't have the programs yeah. then that I would, would have wanted that they have now. But I just, I love it there. I just think it's amazing. It's a um, so, okay, where do you start in the kitchens? Where are you working and where do you want to be? Are you looking to be an executive chef? Like, what is your goal? My goal was to be the executive chef of a three Michelin star restaurant. Okay. Was, that's what I had in mind. My, my goal, again, going back to that initial, like, obsess over these gourmet books and mm -hmm. everything that came out. And, like, so I was actually incredibly obsessed with, like, French cooking and, like, very European focus. Mm -hmm. I, unfortunately, I would say in my younger age, at my younger age, I didn't really appreciate my heritage as much, right? You kind of are in it. You're not like, this is what we eat. I know, but I also think it's the culture of food now versus the culture of food then. Yeah. I mean, if you think about those gourmet books and if you think about the sort of culinary um, attitude out there, it was French. Ooh. French taught, you know, European dining was considered the standard. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... I mean, that's been blown yeah. out of the water yeah. today. You know, it's totally different. But yeah, at the time, that's that was really like my focus. What uh -huh. I um, enjoyed cooking, I, I really liked the attention to detail. I was just, you know, all, all of it really captivated me. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So my, uh, I guess once I was in school, my externship was at Gotham Bar and Grill. Oh, rest sure. in peace. Right. Um, yeah, which, you know, to this day I loved and, you know, went through. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. It, you know, that was like Michelin star, but high volume restaurant, you know, they're mm -hmm. doing over, you know, 500 covers a night. Which uh, this was, was like a nightclub. Yeah, Were you kidding? It was, it was, it was so much fun. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I was also the only woman in the kitchen. Wow. Yeah. So there was that, you know, mm -hmm. the, outside of the pastry department, but like it was on the line. I was the only woman. It taught me a lot. It, it gave me a lot of courage. I'll say mm -hmm. that. Um, and then, you know, went back to school. I really was still very much, I would say, uh, in love with that style uh, of cooking, wanted uh, to continue that path. Okay. Um, and when I graduated from the, my culinary degree, uh, then started working at the Bernard Dong. Yeah. Um, and I would say that's when my path kind of shifted a little bit. I so well, you must have been like, I mean, check, check, check. I mean, you know, yeah. you had a goal and now you're executing it. Yeah. So that must have been very satisfying. Yeah, well, I was... In the restaurant I wanted to be, you know, at right. the time, you know, well, it's, it's still one of the best restaurants in New York, but at the time it was not the number one restaurant in New uh -huh. York. And just, you know, being there was just the privilege of just stepping foot in that kitchen. Again, that's what it felt. It felt like a privilege. Well, not only right? that, Eric Repair couldn't be, no, I did not, I've never worked for Eric Repair. He, but he's very sweet. But he's a very um, kind person. Yes. Exactly kind. Yes. Um, I agree. And uh, I, you know, that was to a whole other level of, sure. you know, of just, you know, details and quality and just a whole other system. And then what brought you down to D.C.? So, like, you're up in New York. 
Ooh. totally different way of life. Ooh. And what brings you down here? Well, while I was working at the Bernard Gone, Eric tells me, you know, you have too much personality to be in the kitchen. I really, I really think like you would be so great in front of the house. Okay. Um, and I kind of missed it. I'm not gonna lie. Like you're sometimes when you're in the kitchen, it's it's now like uh, looking back at it, that's a little strange. But okay. But were you offended? I wasn't. At the, I think at my the time. feelings would have been hurt. Um, it's not. I think. You know, I was in, in my path. I was, you know, doing well. I right. think, I think he just kind of saw my, my spark and, mm -hmm. and felt that, you know, I was, well, good I don't know. know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. And like I said, maybe looking back, I don't know how I feel too much about it, but I'm glad he did. You know, right. he pushed me a little bit more. So I started helping actually with, um, Aldo Song and started with the events going on upstairs mm -hmm. and, started getting a lot into wine. That's how I got into um, wines and right. ended up then going the song path. So long story short, went back to CIA, get now a hospitality degree, wow. um, management side with a focus on beverage. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I graduated, I had a job offer for the Four Seasons here in Georgetown. Oh, okay. Um, and... And that's before Michael Mina is executing at the Bourbon Steak, right? No, Michael Mina was there. Oh, he was there. It was, okay. It was when Michael Mina was, you know, I don't know what to say he was. He's still, um, you know, an incredible chef. But I mean, when Bourbon Steak was really that a restaurant in D.C. I got to tell you, when you go in there on a Tuesday night, it's still a still restaurant. I mean, that place is yeah, also on fire and the food's great. Yeah. But anyway. So, okay. So, yeah. So, um. Honestly, hated it. Okay. Not, I didn't work at, uh, at Bourbon State. I was supposed to. Part of why I hated it. Mm. Um, you know, I was um, literally the day before I arrived or started, I get a call from HR and they tell me, oh, you're actually going to be working at Seasons. Um, exactly. Not that there's anything wrong with it. But no. I would not, if I were you, I would not want to work at Seasons exactly. either. The only time Seasons is hot is breakfast. Exactly. That's it. And your intent is three in the morning. What? Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. All right. So you got out of there. I got out of there. Okay. And then I started working with Jose. Okay. Um, so yeah. And did you, were you front of the house, back of the house? Front of the house. Wow. So where were you working with him at that point? Uh, Satinia. Okay, great. Yeah, so Amazing. I uh, started to over the as um, beverage manager. That was my first position uh -huh. at Satinia, and um, it really started shifting that around. Um, uh -huh. You know, there's still cocktails in that menu since I put them there. So I, isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's awesome. But so. you know, so let me ask you, with Satinia, and I've mm -hmm. talked about because uh, Mikey Friedman was in a couple weeks ago, and he was a chef there. Yeah. And um, we were talking about when Zatina opened, all the wines on the menu were Greek. Mm -hmm. Now, that was the first time in this city that anybody had, wouldn't put a Chardonnay, you know, a French Chardonnay or a California Sauvignon Blanc or something that people would be familiar with. Mm -hmm. So given your education, mm -hmm. when you got to the restaurant, were you like, oh, this is cool? Or were you like, oh, I better read up? Um, a little bit of both. Okay. I thought it was cool. I, I really believed in, in the fact of like, you know, Jose set out a mission of making sure that people are also educated through their dining experiences. Uh -huh. uh, definitely a risky move. Uh -huh. um, but I also saw it as a challenge to make sure that A, 
the first thing was like making sure that the team knew what they were. Right. You know? like, of course, the education. Yeah, the education component because you know I. I feel like now Sertica is way more popular because Santorini is very popular. But at the time, no one knew even, you know, the, that's like the entry level grade. Totally with you. I you get know? it. They, it was like, it was like literally staring blank. Every time you gave a wine list to someone, they're like, uh, and they'll be like, do you anything like someone wants? Anything like Chardonnay? So like we had to like really guide them through that menu and sure. uh, understand the portability. And Greece has amazing wines and we have like Delicious wines. Lebanon and Turkey and mm. uh, so yeah, like ama- amazing wine list, but definitely very confusing. And it's, it was, it was a challenge to get the staff to really uh, train them up to understand uh, the wines themselves mm-hmm. and in detail to make sure that we would actually be bringing guests with, in, with us in that journey rather than just like selling them a lecture or whatever. You know? No, I mean, I'm with you on that. I mean, listen, it opened my world. And now, you know, like I talked about Melina, you know, now Melina does have wines from California, yeah. wine, you know, recognizable wines. I understand their business model. I'm not shaming it, but I'm like, no, I'm going to get the Greek wine, you know, yeah. like, why wouldn't I? Yeah. I feel like, I don't know, in 10 years, we've, I would say, evolved so much. Without and just, doubt. You know, we talked about the food component, but also from a wine aspect as well. Like, you know, the horizons have been open and I feel people are now super, super open and actually excited to try wines from other parts of the world. I could not agree. And I, I started seeing that transition while I was still working there. Like from like when I started of it being like, okay, what's, what is this? And like, I just, I just want to try it and you're kind of have to gracefully navigate that and make sure that by the time they leave, they're like, well, that was better than Chardonnay, right? right. Or like the journey that they had in mind. Well, that they know it. Exactly. I'm with you. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was a, a fun challenge and I got to go to Greece a couple times. And, also fun. Uh, yeah, why not, right? And uh, explore all the wine country there. So I, I love that opportunity. So was Kalata Shop percolating in your head? Where does Kalata Shop come from? Yeah, so uh, while working at with Jose Andres, I um, met Juan Coronado. Mm-hmm. So Juan... Um, it was at Minibar, right? Yes. So mm-hmm. Juan was at Minibar and like leading beverage for um, the upcoming projects outside of D.C. Mm-hmm. I was starting to transition from Satinia to also getting involved in other projects in the D.C. market. Him and I just, I actually was there and helped him when, his, during his job interview. Okay. You know, so we clicked from literally the moment that, that we met. Uh-huh. Um, we're both Dominican, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was like part of the base. But we really just connected from um, that moment, became really good friends. And we just, there were just like all this opportunity that we kept kind of passing, that kept landing. Um, uh-huh. And I was like, other groups that wanted to do projects or events um and we actually started doing some like large weddings in dr okay uh for like leading like the cocktails and the beverage components so we're talking like 1200 people weddings like that they like you know very very large uh events so we kind of started our side business on that and then decided uh, to go on it full time and mm-hmm. we were doing beverage consulting as well as like e- event production so we did like parties for Hermes and Miami we were doing beverage programs for like l- other large restaurant groups wow and this is after we had left um, yes. 
Jose had a number of hotels um, in our book, as well as some uh, beverage brands. So we had... That's amazing. I did not me- know that. Mezcal, gin from Spain, uh-huh. like uh, a tonic water from Spain as well. We were like launching them across the U.S. Wow. So let me ask you, I'm just because I'm yeah. curious. So was a PR agency bringing you in or these companies knew you? Or new one, and we're yeah. like, we want to work with you. They they knew either a lot of like the event aspect was me, and a okay. lot of the beverage brands was more like at the time the Juan connection. Sure. Yeah. So you know Juan prior to joining Jose had worked for a long time with the party uh-huh. um, from a, a global standpoint. So a lot of people knew him from that. Um, sure. Sense. So like you know we were kind of just getting uh, asked, and we're like you know let's just take the risk, right? right? We honestly had a blast. Uh, it sounds amazing. No, we did. We were like, I literally had like three three different carry-ons because I would like get home and again another flight. Right. And a lot of our events and clients were actually like based in Miami. Okay. And so I was spending a lot of time there. I couldn't wait to kind of get to the airport and kind of get my colada fix. Okay. Right. I was like. Um, and for those of you who don't know a colada, yes, there's pina colada, but colada and for our sense as well as a Cuban coffee that's right. like meant to be shared. It's like, honestly, like very strong, wakes you up, gives mm-hmm. you all the energy you need probably for the week, yes. you know? So <laughs> yes, it has kept me up. Yes, it has. <laughs> you know, right. the guava pastries and I'm like, I, I really miss those flavors and, mm-hmm. um, I, my, one of my grandmothers is, is from Cuban descent. Like okay. I grew up with those layers as well. We have a lot of, um, the same, I would say, you're both colonized by the Spanish. We have the same ingredients. I grew up in The food's incredibly similar, uh-huh. but you know, um, so I, as I was consulting and traveling a lot, I was visiting all these cafes and I'm like, I'm saying. I'm like, A, I'm like having to work out of these places because, again, I'm traveling and I'm like, oh, it's 11 o'clock. I've already had two coffees. I don't want a scone. I don't want a muffin. Like, you know, can we like transition things to the day? And uh-huh. they all, to me, appeared see a beige. That's how I would describe it. It's just right. like lack of personality. Uh, at times, we get a lot of like, Slavish third world, uh, like third wave coffee kind of sores in the mm-hmm. sense like, you know, I just want to have a coffee. I don't need, you know, it's great when you go in for that aspect, right. like your experience, I don't need it, and right. I love them. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you just want a cup of coffee sure. and, and go on uh, with your day. And But simultaneously to that, I wanted like something that was complementing it, right? Um, a place I could transition through the day. You could show up in the morning, show up midday, have your meeting or not, have a cocktail. Again, right. the whole beverage background. Mm-hmm. So cocktails were like essential part of whatever we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how kind of like Colada started coming together. It was just like... So something they, you wanted. Yeah, it just... It, I just had a void. <coughs> uh, and I'm like, there's nothing like this in DC. And honestly... Not even, not even in Miami. Miami, you have the cafes and you have the more like larger plates and the ventanita, but there's not really the space where you have the cocktail. Like Cuba has a huge like um, cocktail background, like from the 1920s. Like everyone was partying in Cuba. Right. All of these cocktails are basically um, Cuban recipes. Like that, there's a ton of like classic cocktails that originated there. So like, there's, 
So yeah, so we kind of, I wanted um, really an all-day affair, mm-hmm. uh, an all-day affair of a place that would bring the vibrant colors, the Latin personality, uh, that you would kind of walk in and feel like you're on vacation. But why bring it up to D.C.? Why well, not do it in Miami? I guess that's like... You seem like you were happy in Miami. Yeah, but I feel like, I don't know, I, Miami felt transient. You know, I love going to Miami, but I also love leaving Miami. Okay. You know, like yes. it's kind of one of those things that it, to me has that expiration date. I I really felt that DC um, DC has such an international like crowd. You know, I feel like it's a very educated crowd. Exactly. You know, um, their palettes are educated. Mm-hmm. They're wide open to experience. I just, I think DC is very unique in that. Mm. You know, and I also, you know, at that point had uh, called DC home for probably like seven years. Okay. Um, had kind of established some roots here, some connections. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jose was very much a fan of us from the beginning and like supported us through the way, um, you know, as, as a mentor. So I think all those things were important. Mm-hmm. Um, so us. when you built the first space, mm-hmm. First one was 14th Street. Mm-hmm. So what? I remember when it opened. Mm-hmm. How? So let's where it began and where it is now. So how many do you have now? Five. That's what I thought. Okay. So let's yeah. talk about when you opened up your first colada shop. Was the intention to open up more? Did you see it as a something that could be taken to multiple places? That was definitely my hope. Okay. Um, so. That first location originally. Um, Wait, how long ago is this? Uh, 2016. Okay, so this is sweet greens are happening. Cobb is like everything's just kind of percolating yes. at the same time. Okay. Yes. So we were actually on the basement of the 14th Street location. The intention was to open like a Cuban speakeasy. That was a counterpart of Colada Shop. Colada Shop, in a way was very much like my project and you know that La Obra was the uh what we, what we were going to call the bar okay. that was going to be a Cuban speakeasy and I'm just like I know but I really want those pasta legals and right. like, the coffee components so that's why like um it was so small right mm-hmm. like we had this huge basement where we were building um more of this nightlife a cocktail bar mm-hmm. and uh, Colada shop was originally like a few, a few items, but we were still going to do cocktails, coffee, and like just kind of come and go. And right. we honestly, um, the, it just surpassed our expectations, the, how people received it. We had lines out the door. I know. And but plus was, you yeah. added more food. I mean, yes. it wasn't just those delicious guava pastries, yeah, we, which are yummy. It did, but you know, it's funny. It's still like today right. I laugh. I'm like, yeah, like we made 14 food work, right? In, in the sense of like, you know, and bless our team because it's a tight space, yeah. right? We've like expanded that space into that space like four times since we opened. You know, we like added the back room and then we're able to like get the rooftop outside and then added an interior bar upstairs. It's been like a number of remodels. Right. uh, While we were like learning, I guess, and morphing into what we have become today. And Uh today we're much more than pastelitos and Cuban sandwiches. Right. Our menu um, has expanded. Uh, significantly to use, you know, include some of the 
you know, Cuban um, favorites like Ropa Vieja. We have like Guava Barbecue Ribs, uh -huh. Sajas Pollo. Uh, but we also have like really delicious, healthier salads that um, with, of course, featuring and focusing always. Like that's one thing I took from Jose. Anything that we touch, anything that we do is not really following trends. It really has to have history, has to have cultural connection. So. Uh -huh. Um, yeah, and, and the, the cocktail menu has, you know, when we, uh, when we first opened, it was strictly rum, uh -huh. um, rum pen, but right. also again, part of the concept, we, you know, now have included other spirits, but always making sure that if we're utilizing other spirits, we're working with classic, uh, Cuban recipes. And okay. so, yeah, so we, um, we have, uh, evolved and make sure that we have enough and, Offerings to, to really make it a place where people can hang out with us every day, all day. All day. So at all your locations, because you have one out in Cabin John, mm -hmm. you have one, one in Virginia or two in Virginia? Uh, we have one in Virginia. Right. Um, a couple in construction. I can't, okay. I can't talk too much all about right, it. It's right. coming up. But yeah, we have one in Virginia. So and all of them are effective that way. So you could go in for breakfast, go in for lunch, go in for dinner. They're all open all day. However, Mosaic and Mosaic. 14th Street uh -huh. um, are smaller footprints. So we um, call them those more cafecitos while um, then where we have uh, the Wharf, DuPont, and then Cabin John, uh -huh. more of our flagships that have a much more extensive menu sure. and um, their larger locations. I mean, they are amazing. And the branding behind them is beautiful Thank because you. they're each unique in look but you know you're in a colada shop and that's very much our intention i don't i don't want to create spaces that just look like copy paste right. um i want to make sure that each of them have their own identity they're connecting with that specific neighborhood uh -huh. the same way like we lead our team it's like you know we set like you know guardrails for like this is our culture this is what we're doing but like each neighborhood is unique and sure. like people coming in are different the, the team is unique so I think always I believe in embracing that rather than like, hey, this is our spiel and this is exactly what we do. Like, you know, you have to bring certain personality. And I think that comes through when we have, you know. And you know what? When you don't, it doesn't. It changes the experience. Yeah, it becomes right? kind of boring. So, yes. you know, you have to allow certain flexibility for okay. that personality to come through and like. You know, that's why each of our locations has a mural of a different woman. And like, I, that's what I kind of felt like, you know, it's their personality. You can't have many children. They're all going to be very different. Right. You know, like they have the same baseline. So you can have same education, go to the same school, uh -huh. you know, kind of like same foundation. But you kind of have to let them flourish in a little bit in their own way. I love that. And yeah. so, well, let's. I wanted to get into the other concepts that you're a part of, but I feel like we're in this little hospitality bubble. So can we talk about, I mean, given your Michelin experience is, and, um, you know, working with Jose and now having this Colada shops, multiple of them, what is your view on hospitality? How do you infuse hospitality into your concepts? What is the training? How do you bring people to the level of service that you want and what does that look like for you for me that looks like you know and so we actually have a word for it in colada we actually call it cubanism okay. uh so you know we say our four pillars are coffee cooking cocktails and cubanism you know and with that one of the pillars the house falls you know um and 
that Cubanism ultimately, yes, it's the look, it's the feel, which includes the music, but primarily it's that hospitality aspect. And how I like to um, describe it and talk to it to our team and when we're talking about it, it's like, how would you welcome your favorite person into your home? Mm. You know, what would you do? To what extent would you go? That's how every single guest should feel, mm-hmm. right? Like they're incredibly special. You're greeting them from afar. You're waiting for them at the door before they're even walking in or at least, you know, having that eye contact, making sure that you're going above and beyond that those expectations. But ultimately, you know, from a smile to and just the whole experience. It's the, it's the little things. It's not only about food. I well, mean, I mean, I agree with you on that, but I see where your, your head's at. But I think giving that to people to execute for you, mm-hmm. right? You're a hospitable person. Mm-hmm. It's your business. How do you go about making sure that your teams, you know, feel that way? Yeah, it's not an easy task. No. I'll start with that. And I would say it became an incredibly challenging task, especially like during the pandemic as mm-hmm. we were expanding and making sure that, mm-hmm. um, you know, hospitality and COVID was a whole other thing. Yeah. You couldn't even see someone smile. Right. right? Just like, let's just... They didn't go hand in hand. Exactly. No. You didn't go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it starts with internal, like internally, like how you treat your employees and how you treat your team and how you make them, if you make them feel like family, um, they'll treat our guests like family because they understand like they are proud of where they work. They want to make sure they keep working there. They want to build that. So I think that's a key component. But it, it's ultimately it goes to a lot of hiring practices and just making sure it's, you don't really hire for skill necessarily. We hire for personality, you know? I Interesting. Think it's, um, I feel like a lot of what we're doing, we can teach uh-huh. through our training and, um, but you can't really teach someone to smile, you know? No, I call it the hospitality chip. You either have it or you don't. Yeah. You know, like there are people who really enjoy it. And there are people who it's just a job and you can, you can feel it when you're on the other end of it, you know? So I hear you. Yeah. And I'm not going to say we like are successful a hundred percent of the time because you know, things happen, but I think that's what we definitely strive for, (laughs) you know? And, um, it's, we, uh, again, look at, at it as an opportunity and like during that interview process, like the main focus is how much is that person smiling? Like, what are they doing? Uh, how, you know, are they noticing when, cause I, I am, I'm one, like if it's very challenging for me to work out of the restaurant sometimes, cause like I can't even have sometimes a conversation cause I'm looking at all the little stuff. details. Right. right. So it's just like, you're seeing someone walking with a stroller, like, what are you doing? Are you, are you opening the door for them? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, or you're seeing, yeah, it's like, it's just, you cannot start noticing how people react mm-hmm. to things. So. I think though all those small details ultimately combined become a very large uh, component of how we make people feel and why people come back. Well, yes, it brings people back. Okay, so let's talk about your other projects because mm-hmm. even though Colada is growing and growing and growing, it's your first baby yeah. that is spawning others. How did you get into Bresca and Serenata, these other uh, entities that are solely different yeah. from uh, Bresca? Um, so I would say, well, I've, again, I always had that um, 
Michelin uh, goal. I, I right. love fine dining. Um, and also very important to me, it was like, I think at one point, well, one of the things that I pride myself is like recognizing talent. Mm-hmm. You know, when I see someone um, that has not yet been discovered, that has that right aptitude or just and really the desire, um, I kind of, I, I think I can recognize myself and certain people in the in the way like you know i'm i'm the type of person i'm not gonna let anything fail right. like when i my my eyes on something it's like we go like mm-hmm. you can't throw anything at me good luck like honestly like i so like noticing that that a very entrepreneurial um let's say skill or just desire spirit. And, and spirit and it's people spirit. exactly uh combined with talent so um met the chef uh and so actually colada shop and bresca are the same building oh like from the back yes right so they're connected oh yes. so but that was policy right that was policy okay so you remember how i told you we kept expanding yeah so we kind of kept taking policy space right right and then you know a lot of said, well what are we gonna do now with this space are you gonna take the whole thing i'm like no i don't need the whole thing i don't need a whole building you know right. what i mean like it's it's i want the space to feel int- intimate and cool and like we make it too big too that just doesn't not work. work but i'm like i know the chef um that's uh great and i have this concept you know i i think i had um like in the Bresca console when i went back and looked at it on my computer it was like from 2005 was the file like, wow and I created, um kind of became obsessed with bees and how bees uh focus in our environment and the honeycomb shape being the most like stru- uh structurally like safe shape so there was like a lot behind it and mm-hmm. then you know combine the talent that talent and kind of you know, um, brought him in and, right. you know, we, you know, put Launched together. Uh, yeah. We traveled through France, uh, for a while, um, and Spain and, uh, the whole, initially the concept was really about French astronomy mm-hmm. and it was, uh, about the concept of really, I would say grabbing everyday ingredients and turning them into something spectacular that requires, you know, a lot of talent. Right. Things have evolved and changed since, since then. Right. Um, but, you know, definitely very proud to have um, begun that restaurant. Yes, I created it. Um, and it's, you know, a Michelin star. Um, you know, it receives so many accolades, which yeah. is incredible. Yeah, the team's um, doing wonderful. And then where did Serenata come from? So, uh, that's sir, like a sharp right. That's I mean. a sharp right. Um, so I actually got approached, um, by Jody McLean. Okay. Um, Eden's. From Eden's. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and she was like, listen, um, I am doing this Latin market and you have to be a part of it. Yes, you do. And she did not let me say no to her. Did you want to say no to her? Uh, you know, at the time I was like, I don't know if I have bandwidth. Um, uh, mm-hmm. but and I didn't want to say no. I'm like, and when she then told me more about it and she told me like about La Cosecha Foundation, how we're like ultimately with, you know, every sale supports also, um, other nonprofits that then support Latin America and how this was the first of its kind. I'm like, okay, I absolutely have to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and remember that initial bar that we talked about that right. never happened? Then we needed to kind of bring it to life. Mm-hmm. But instead of like deciding to focus it on just one country, which was initially La Obra, we wanted to, uh, with Serenata, like 
basically give a surname to Latin Americans in the um, bounties of each country. Mm-hmm. So we really focus on individual countries and like even change the spelling of like, I'll give the example of passion fruit, like they'll call it parchita in Venezuela, chinola in the Dominican Republic. So like we even change the name of the same ingredient depending on how they say it in each country. It's kind I of like that education process as well. It's like we want people to travel with us and also elevate the Latin, Latin taco scene. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, also with that, you know, Matt had met AJ in the process saw that spirit mm-hmm. you know and was yeah and she's was uh, like, girl let's get to work aj she's, is uh she's on fire she's i, I mean yeah. i love aj and once she hit the scene i mean the very first time i met her was at macon's yes and i was like what are you doing here you don't you should you need to get out of here mm-hmm. she's just she's just a ball of like positive incredible energy and she's so mm-hmm. smart and she knows so much like She's amazing. She is. So, you know, I think that's one of the things that I enjoy the most is being able to uplift others uh, through the process. Mm-hmm. I think it's important, like, you know, getting started and getting all these restaurants on the road was not an easy task. And I think now it's just, I de- very much enjoy being a part of also that journey for other people and uh, being able to help them in their journey. And, you know, that's, know why I, I also spend a lot of time nowadays um through other nonprofits that are just like supporting women and immigrants uh-huh. um as well like restaurant association and things like that and just to make sure that we're giving path to um you know on um well you're providing a platform yes i mean listen i think you earlier you said you know you were in the kitchen at gotham and you were the only woman back there. Yeah. And now you're not the only woman. I mean, you're not the only woman CEO and the, the only woman entrepreneur, but given your Latin background and being a woman and your age, providing a platform for others, bringing other people along with you is really important. Yeah. And sometimes you just, listen, you sometimes need someone to open the door. Right. You know, we know how the world works. It's exactly. all connection-based. You need one person to believe in you. It's like, oh, this person, oh, okay, I'll jump in. Right. You kind of need sometimes that validation and I mm-hmm. think, um, yeah, we need to, it's still an industry where it's, you know, there's still far from. There's a lot of misogyny. You yeah, can say it. There is, it is. You know, there is. And, you know, we still need to open those doors. And I agree. Yeah. Not just, you know, just to others. You know, not everybody looks like us. And I think it's important that you hear people's stories, understand their journeys, understand their narratives, and allow them the ability to participate. 100%. I could not agree with you more. So you also had a baby recently. I did. Because you don't have enough to do. (laughs) Uh, How are you finding the balance between running a multi-pronged business, being on all these associations, um, being a mentor, doing all these things. How are you finding that going? So I I will say I kind of shy away from the word balance these days. I would never use it. Because there's no such thing in my life. It's more like she just comes along for the ride. Good. You know, so there's integration rather than, I feel like balance alludes a little bit to like separation, right? Like, right. you know, work life. It's just my work and my life are one, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, 
Uh, you know, my husband calls himself the head intern jokingly because he's, you know, like it just like every, everyone comes along for the ride and I don't try to separate. I try to bring them uh, along the fun part and sometimes not the fun part as well. When you own your own business, yeah, it's it, it's, it's all encompassing. Yeah, and it's 24-7. You right. know, it's, it's hard work, um, you know, being an entrepreneur at, you know, any level, I would say. Every level has challenges of course uh so listen yeah. somebody said to me today um earlier today we were talking about some travel i was doing and she's like well that's a vacation right i was like i mean vacation is subjective yeah. i'm like yes i can be on vacation but my computer is always with me exactly. she's like well can you just take a couple days off and i was mm. like but i don't want to exactly I, I mean i don't want to i need to check in i have a terrific team I could certainly leave it all to them, but at the end of the day, they all make their salaries and I'm, I'm allowed to be away. I pay for my vacation because of the work I do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm going to bring my computer with me no matter where I am and I'm going to check in mm -hmm. to make sure T's are crossed and I's are dotted. Exactly. So yeah, so I would say, you know, motherhood has, um, Changed my perspective on things, but and you know, on that integration aspect too, I respect my time a lot more now. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I will say. I think um, I've almost become more strict after the baby, and just a little bit more like hey, I'm like, you know, I have to protect my time, so like, don't waste it. Right. You know what I mean? It's just like it's just. Well, also, I think learning to say no is really important. Agreed, and yeah. As uh, women, I think we're people pleasers, and we also love being asked to do things. You know, we love being asked to be on panels and boards and uh, associations and all the different things. It's exciting, but sometimes you have to say no. You know, and I, I think I struggled with that prior to mm -hmm. having a baby. I was just like, and everything. And if I was like an octopus and overextending myself beyond, I would do it, and I would. You know, my, uh, I would wake up at four, four thirty in the morning and go to bed at midnight when I didn't care. Mm -hmm. you know, not anymore. Now my time is not all mine. You know, he, he, you know, I call him baby boss. Right. <laughs> so he's a baby boss. Well, you're a mommy boss. Exactly. So that makes sense. So yeah. So sometimes I have to, I have to share that, but I think it's again, it's, it's given me, um, I don't think I'm the only one that sometimes has trouble as a woman respecting my own time, mm -hmm. right? I, I think, again, like what you said, it's like I used to say yes to everything because mm -hmm. I felt like I needed to. And I made your FOMO of like, hey, I'm going to miss right. on this and this opportunity. It's like, you know, I, like, it's a, I think um, having Sebastian has allowed me to like, hey, no, it's okay if I... Right not there or if I'm only there for X amount of time and there's you know. always another panel there's always another party there's yeah. always another group to be on like yeah. it's okay yeah. it's but it is hard I mean it's, I it's, who it's doesn't hard, yeah it's, I a, get it's it. a hard juggle it's not you know I'm not I'm not gonna sugarcoat it it's, right. it's a hard juggle I get it but okay anyway. so as we're wrapping up you know one of the groups you're a part of um the uh 50 Latina women uh, innovating to sustainably feed the world. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because innovation and sustainability are like these huge buzzwords right now. And where are you on all of that? When you consider all your projects and what you're doing and all your future projects that you can't tell me about, <laughs> what does being innovative and sustainable mean to you? Yeah, I think it's, um, well, 
A number of things, but I would say from product sourcing, obviously, and making sure we're um, very conscious on what we're doing there. It's especially being in what I call, you know, fine casual uh, environment. I love fine casual. I'm going to steal that from you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenging environment, you know, to be able to like stay and stick behind your uh, choices of like, listen, we do a lot of to go, right? Mm-hmm. That also creates ultimately a ton of waste. A ton of waste. Yeah. Right. Um, and choosing a straw that's, you know, biodegradable, that's made, you know, like a kernels are made from seaweed, um, uh, like versus a plastic one. We're talking 0.0001 cent versus like 15 cents a straw. Mm-hmm. Right. And that just being able to navigate the economics of that is a, is a challenging aspect and being, com- so we're very committed to that. And as far as our product packaging, mm. um, and then also in our menu, you know, we, um, focus a lot of like, you know, human food is like primarily pork based, right? right? We have the commitment of making sure that we are providing within the same awesome flavors, you know, highlighting the vegetable components a lot more, uh, using, um, alternate sources of protein mm-hmm. as well. Just making sure that we're giving them equal signs from the beginning. We're like, you know, yeah, we have a Cuban, we have a veggie Cuban. And that's right. always been like one, two things that then, uh, on the menu. And I know now seems, I would say kind of like a lot of people are doing it. Right. Um, but back then it was different. Back then it was different. And I, mm-hmm. but still, and, and the funny thing is that it's also a lot of the times more expensive as a business. Vegetables oh, absolutely. actually cost a lot more money than, you know. Well, uh, talk about waste. I mean, vegetables go bad quicker. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're harder to store and take care of. Yeah. I mean, there, it's a lot of work right. with vegetables. Vegetables aspects. So, you know, I think in, in those two regards, we, we spend a lot of energy in our sourcing and the supply chain, mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that we, uh, are putting forward that and, and kind of leading the way and helping and helping other businesses within that casual space. Mm-hmm. I think in a fine dining setting, it's totally different. Uh, totally, it's totally different, different. Right. Well, and if you go back to the pandemic, I mean, and everybody was doing takeout. I think it was a real education for everyone, especially those who are conscious, sustainable wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, we don't do takeout a lot, but I can't tell you how many times I'm like, please don't put plastic poisons into my bag. Please don't give me a plastic bag. Like, I just, I'm trying to make the right choices here. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, and like I, paper, um, you know, agave pulp is a lot of things that we use to like compress carbon, like recyclable. Right. So yeah, it's, and, Again, it, it takes, it, it does like the sourcing of those materials. And again, finding, finding ways where we are committed to making sure that in the economics of restaurants that, as you know, are very challenging, mm-hmm. we still um, make it a priority. Right. And economics are challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, I have like 18 more questions to ask you, but um, we have to go. So um, can please tell people, is there... Anything you can tell us about what's coming up next, or do we just have to wait? Uh, you know, I'll just say Virginia has um, some exciting stuff coming. Okay, uh, okay you know, Virginia. You'll, 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 you'll know soon. Okay. You know, I think um, the goal is, um, you know, for us to keep expanding and sharing the collateral love, and, mm-hmm. uh, but also, you know, working um, 
with AJ and AJ and a new exciting project as well. Oh, I cannot so, wait. That's very exciting. Yeah. Tell everybody where they can find you, either on Instagram or social. Tell us where we should find you. Yeah, so my Instagram is uh, at Daniela Senior and not on Twitter or Threads yet, I guess. You'll, I need if to, you're I need on to, Instagram, I need you're to, on Threads. I need, yes, okay, I need up. to catch up quick mm-hmm. on this aspect. Uh, and yeah, coladashop.com or at coladashop. Great. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. for joining me. I'm just going to wrap it up quickly. So uh, thank you to my gorgeous guests for joining me today. It was a great conversation. So much more to discuss, though, because she does so many incredible things. Um, and thank you for joining me today. Um, I failed to mention in the beginning of the show that I am here in the gorgeous wine lair, the private wine club right next to the Ritz-Carlton. So if you are into wine, you must come and take a tour of their gorgeous cellar where you can keep the wines. They have a full cocktail program and a beautiful bar, and they do amazing events here. So definitely check them out at Wine Lair DC on Instagram and um, all the socials as well. And don't forget, everybody, please, uh, follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter for the moment, Threads, LinkedIn, and of course, you can watch the show now on YouTube. And please send me questions. I'm always delighted to help you, whether it's restaurant recommendations, which I do a lot of. No, I cannot make you reservations. Uh, but anything you have for Daniela or any of my other guests, I'm delighted to find out an answer for you. Thanks for joining me today. And everybody have a delicious week. Produced by HeartCast Media.